want to ask you guys to stand to your feet for a moment. And I'm going to read over us why it is that we're here. Okay? Lest we forget and think this is about jelly beans. Luke records that on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He, he is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he has told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men be crucified on the third day. Rise. He is not here. you for the life that you lived. We praise you for the death that you endured in my stead, in our place. But more than any of that, we praise you because everyone I've ever met was born. And everyone I ever meet, I assume will die, but you are the only one that I know who conquered death and is alive again. And because of that, we have life now undeserved, we're unworthy, we're all, all of that, but we have life because you're alive. And without that, we have nothing. And so I thank you and I praise you that because of you, we have everything. In your name, amen. Now I'm going to start off with a little confession here because I don't think I'm the only one in the room that this is true of. When I was younger, I, I grew up, I was a, I was a church kid. I, I went to church a lot, um, not like every minute, because I was Lutheran, we didn't do that, but we, we had like, you know, 58-minute services, and, and we would go, and we were there for that first minute, and we stayed till that last minute, and then we were out. That's the way it worked in, in our church, but I was there every week, and, and I knew the stories, and, and there was a time in my life where I was more excited about the Easter candy than I was about like Easter real honest there, there's this so there's two candies that I loved uh, all of it and <laughs> and then besides that there were these little coins that my my mom found I don't know if you guys know about this they're not even really chocolate nor are they peanut butter they're like some completely fake processed thing that is so delicious on Easter. Whatever there was when I was a child that is still around is not decaying, it's not rotting, because it's not real. But I love these things. And they, they were, they said like five cents on some, ten cents on some. I just, I took them all. I was like, I will trade you anything for that peanut butter-ish, chocolatey thing. And, and so I'd be in church, and my mind would be on, I wonder how many coins I got back home. Real honest. Church was great. Oh, yeah, we sang... We, we're, we're almost excited, and, uh, <laughs> and and then we go home, and we tear up the house to find my little semi-real, semi-chocolate 
coins because that was the good news of Easter to me. But I didn't know how much greater he was. I didn't know. Last week, if you were here, Pastor Jamal talked about the greater love that Jesus has for us. And I didn't, I didn't know that at the time. If you were here with us on Friday, we talked about the greater sacrifice and the greater grace that we encounter when we encounter Jesus. It was powerful, and for many of us, it was like life-changing. It reorbited us in the right way. And then today, we're talking about this greater power. And reality is, I didn't know it. I didn't know it. And part of the reason that I did not know the greater power was because I didn't understand forgiveness of sin. So we're going to sit in that for a minute. All right. I promise this will be happy. We're going to talk about sin first. Because here's the thing. I thought, and I don't, I don't think I'm the only one. I thought that it was about being more moral. I thought that Jesus was there to make me nicer. I thought he was there to make me cleaner, to be just kinder, that I was just supposed to be this like little kind boy who's really, really moral. And that's what he came for. And forgiveness of sins was because I did immoral things, because I did something bad and he was making me good in this tiny little way. So let, let me try to explain it this way. There was this pattern to how we would do church uh, growing up, when I was little, I was on time for things. Something happened to me in my 20s, and it no longer is true. But I was on time for things, and, and my mom would, would uh, she would send us all out. You, you guys do this in your home? Like, well before church, we all had to go outside. Like, go outside. To, we had a garage, but the garage was not for cars, apparently, and the car was outside. So it was like, go, go outside, kids. Go be by the van, and then I'll come. And she always had something to do. I don't know if she was finding her purse, or if she was just, maybe she, like, now that I'm a parent, maybe she was just breathing for a second. You know, I don't know. But there was always something that would take three, four, five minutes, and us kids were outside, and we knew we couldn't pick on each other. We just couldn't. We were good at it, but we just couldn't in that moment. But sending me outside of the driveway was very mean, because in our driveway, we had a basketball hoop. And if you guys have a basketball hoop, you know, underneath the net or, or, the, or the rim, if you're a bad shot, the, the like concrete or the pavement, is, it just gets ruined because the ball bounces there all the time, and our driveway just chipped away and became this giant mud puddle right underneath the hoop. But I never put a basketball away. I kicked them all under the pine tree because that was a good storage space for me. So she would say, go outside. I knew I couldn't pick on my brother and sister, so I would look under the pine tree, and there was my basketball. And what else would I do? but shoot baskets, right? I thought it was innocent every single Sunday. I thought it was innocent. And I'd be out there shooting baskets and having fun and picking up the ball. And I, I'm, if you've ever played with me, you know I'm not very good. And I, I, the ball's hitting me everywhere. My mom will come outside and my hands will be filled with mud. And my shirt, and I'm old at the time, right? <laughs> and my, my jacket would have like the imprints of the basketball, like you could read NBA where the mud was. I'd always have marks on my pants. Like there were shoes that I could only wear on Sunday because I was such a mess and those shoes looked like my Monday through Friday shoes. Because I, I, I just, I didn't know what else to do. I just played basketball. And I'd get dirty every time and my mom would get mad every time. And I internalized all that as the reason that we go to church. We go to church because I can't help myself but get messy. 
and I go there to get cleaned up. And I go to church to, to look clean again. Because sometimes when it was really bad, my mom would make me go change and then come back out and they'd be late because of me and all this kind of stuff. But that, that was what became the goal of church. The point of Christianity to me was stay clean. Don't bother your brothers and sisters because that's messy. And don't get your hands dirty. Don't play. That leads to bad things. And so you, I was just supposed to stand there on the driveway in one place quietly. And then I was to go to church and just stand there in one place quietly. And somehow I was supposed to internalize and live in the fact that Jesus came that I might have life to the full. And I was like, that doesn't look full at all. I don't feel like there's space for me to do anything. And I was taught that Jesus died so that my hands and my shoes and my jacket could be clean again. So at those times I picked on my brother and sister that he, he could shake his finger and be like, okay. But then I would be forgiven. Sin doesn't work like that, guys. If you walked in internalizing sin as just this like, oh, you did something wrong and then he just cleans you up and then you're just going to go do something wrong again and it seems as inconsequential as shooting baskets, then I want to let you know that there, there is more to the forgiveness of sin. It is greater than that. It's not just this like laundry detergent and dryer sheets. Jesus is much more than that. As I grow, grew up and began reading this book that influenced me, that you probably read it, the Bible, like as I started to read that book, I started to internalize sin differently. I started to understand it differently. I started to understand that we were made different. Like God created everything, and he made like aardvarks like aardvarks, and then he made us like him. I mean, we say that, but that's the truth. He made like these really awesome animals to be just like they are, and then he made us to be just like him, to be image bearers, to be made in his image, which is pretty fascinating because you look around this room, we don't look exactly alike. I don't have all the height in the room. But we're both image bearers, the tall ones and me. So there's something besides like external look that is the image bearer thing, right? And then, and then we were made in his image with a power and authority, Genesis tells us, right? We have power, we have authority because the one whom we're made in his image has power and authority. We're to create and we're to order things because the one that we are made in his image creates and he brings order to things. So he says, go and be like me and go be creative and bring order. Get your hands dirty for me. That's what he says, right? And we're to worship him. And then sin comes in. What is it? Is it just me being immoral for a quick second? No. That's not what sin is. Sin ultimately is idolatry. It's when I am created to worship God and live in the authority and power that he's given me. And I say, no thanks, I'm going to worship something that's created. And I'm going to hand over my power and I'm going to hand over my authority to that thing. So I, when I walked in, I saw somebody knew it was Easter and brought fancy donuts today. <laughs> Let me try to explain it this way. I brought Kroger donuts. If you had a donut hole, that was from me. <laughs> Those do not expire. 
ever. You can lose that in your trunk, pick it out two years from now, it'll taste exactly the same. It's like those coin candies I liked when I was a child. Somebody brought real donuts. I have a feeling it was Don, but I'm not positive. But somebody loves you more than I do. I didn't leave my house on time because I already confessed that. And I would have ate it. But somebody brought real ones. Now, I'll let you know, that donut is a fantastic donut. One of you should get up and go eat that. If you're looking for a donut, it is, does a great job of being a donut. You know what it is not good at? It is not good at being a god. That's a horrible god. Wonderful donut. Horrible god. That is a wonderful donut. Horrible god. The Kroger ones I brought, horrible donut. Horrible god. Both of them. Both of them. They're both bad. Just honest, they were $1.50. I know your kids like them, okay? That's why I picked them up. This isn't just me talking. This is in Isaiah. Isaiah says it this way. It talks about this man who cuts down a tree. This, it, they, this is like a manly, manly man who knows how to cut down a tree and all those kinds of things is who he's talking about. And then he says this in, in, uh, in verse 16. Isaiah says, half of the tree he burns in the fire. Over that half, he eats the meat, he roasts the meat, and, he, and he's satisfied. And he warms himself by that fire and says, aha, I am warm, I have seen the fire. Okay, so if you ever want to be like a really manly man, that's, that seems instructive. Make a fire, say, aha, I've seen it. Half the tree, right? It has this function of cooking meat and keeping him warm. And the rest of it, the other half, he makes into a god, his idol, and he falls down to it, and he worships it. He prays to it, and he says, deliver me, for you are my God. So half of this giant tree, he cuts down, cuts into smaller pieces, makes a fire, and it has a purpose that makes sense. And the other half, he whittles into a God. And he starts to worship that silly God. And we think, who in the world would do that? Me. Because it's really, really silly of us to ask chicken wings to be our joy, right? We're going to get together. I want to feel good. I want to feel happy. I need a million chicken wings, and I need to eat every single one of them. It's really silly at the end of a long day when we're filled with emotion and sadness, and we need comfort that we would turn to bourbon or alcohol or anything else, that we would turn to something. What are we asking that to be? Not alcohol. We're asking it to be a God. We're asking it to be our comfort. It's really silly that we roll up our sleeves and ask our job to be our identity and our only source of provision. Not the outlet where we work out our power and authority that we're given. Not where we practice creating and bringing order. But we say, this is going to make me somebody. That job will never satisfy if you're asking it to be a God. It's wild that we ask someone else to be our everything, whether that be in marriage or in friendship, even sometimes through people we don't even know. We see them and we think that they must be our savior, our hope, our comforter, all of these things. I'll tell you what, chicken wings are great if you need chicken wings. They are a horrible God. Uh, scripture talks about alcohol. I think most of what it's saying is don't let that be your God. Don't, don't get drunken into that. 
It talks about our jobs and our identity and how important it is that our identity is founded in Christ. It talks about the way that we treat one another. I should see Jesus in you, but I should not ask you to be my only source of Jesus. I should, be, I should see Jesus reflected in you and be drawn to worship of him, not to drawn to worship of you and ask you to be everything that a God is. So here's a reality. We become what we worship. You become what you worship. Well, we become more Christ-like, right? That's the point. You worship God and you become more Christ-like, which really is more like yourself since you were made in his image from the very beginning. But if you only worship donuts, you become a donut. You do. You just get kind of stale. You get kind of fatty. You, you, you lose your purpose. We become what we worship. And we worship the one who is living, we become alive. And when we worship things that are dead, we die. We die. This is the problem with my sin. I was born to worship and reflect the one true God. And I subbed it out. And I worship tiny little things. And every tiny little thing were made by the creator or created by us because that's what we were created to do. And I asked these created things like that little whittled log idol. I asked those things to do what they can't. I asked them to be my God. And I handed over the power and authority that I was given being made in the image of God. I handed that over to these created things and all of a sudden became dead because they're dead. That's the problem with sin. It's not that we're immoral. It's that we're dead. It's not just that I got dirt on me and I made a silly mistake. It's not about silly mistakes. Read through scripture. God's people are super messed up. But the problem is we keep worshiping little things. We keep worshiping little things. And this forgiveness of sin isn't that my clothes got dirty. It's that I was designed to be an image bearer. And you were designed to be an image bearer. And we worshiped creation instead. And so this power and authority that we are given in Genesis 1, we hand over to created things and became, become slaves to lesser gods. Because the God of Scripture is generous and he's kind and he's patient. And he lets his people explore life and he even lets us drift from him and drift back to him and all of this for reasons I don't understand but lesser gods don't do that you go to some dead thing and give it power it'll say thank you and keep it that's what addiction is right we, we go to some TV show and we get Netflix and we don't ask Netflix to be entertainment or we don't ask Netflix to be Netflix we ask it to just medicate us and it says yes sir and all of a sudden, we're three days later. And we know everything there is to do. Pastor Jamel and I have a friend who said he finished Netflix. Huh. That tells me something, sir. <laughs> I don't know that that's an accomplishment I would boast on.
But we all have our chosen little cocktails of things that we medicate on, that we use as lesser gods, right? And we can't free ourselves from that. We can't. Once you're dead, you're dead unless you're Jesus. Or unless you belong to Jesus. And this is where I need forgiveness of sin. This is where you need forgiveness of sin. Because hopelessness is offered to me by this donut God, these, these wooden idols, all of these things. They say life is hopeless, and I go agree with them. And instantly death is reintroduced to me. And instantly I'm reminded of how desperately I need Jesus. You see, Jesus takes this death that I deserve. I deserve it from my worship of other things, and he brings it to the cross in my stead. And then he reminds us of who we are. We have to remember this. We have to remember that we are people of the story that was given to Abraham, where he was told, you will be my people, and, and I will be your God. Your family will be a blessing to the entire world. The entire world will be blessed because of you. And now we are grafted into this story, and when we read the news, we are to be a blessing to everybody we're reading about. Not because we're awesome and I have a bunch of stuff figured out, but because I'm his. And I was created to be that. We read Moses, and God appears to Moses as all these people are crying out for deliverance and freedom. And he says, I hear your cry. And now we are grafted into that story as the people who get to cry out to our God. Though our sin has led us far from him into slavery and captivity, we cry out for deliverance. And he says, yes, that is exactly who I am. Let me take my throne again. In Malachi, one of my favorite books a book where God gets real frustrated with us. In fact, he even says, like, I I'm weary from you guys mis misunderstanding me. You know God says that. He says, I'm, I'm weary of you questioning my character. And, then, and one of the next things he says, but, but return to me. And I'll return to you because I've never changed. You are fickle and change. Blessed are you that I don't. But return to me. And I have never, for I have never changed. And then we get to Paul. And Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now you get this. We are new. You put your faith in him. Your sin is dead. Not you anymore. Your sin is dead. So you don't need to drag it around with you. You are now alive and new in him. You can like just flick that off and be done with it. And you get to be alive in him because Christ reconciled you and you are made in the image of Christ. So now your ministry and your job is to go do the thing that Christ did. We march around reconciling with one another towards Christ, towards this creation that he has. We are agents of reconciliation. We, we are meant... To, to see God's kingdom come and his will be done right here as it is in heaven. But this leads me to something else I misunderstood about Easter that made me want like jelly beans and little candies and stuff. I didn't get heaven. I didn't get it. I was a young kid. I don't need to hear about heaven. I'm going to live till I'm like a billion years old. And because I'm Superman and everyone I know is Superman and we're going to live forever. And you're talking about like this like after death, insurance kind of stuff. Like, I don't need that. 
I don't need heaven right here. You see, I completely misunderstood heaven. I thought it was far off, this future investment thing. It's actually this space that we reconcile. In, in Scripture, when you, re, when you read earth, it's not just talking about like this spinning globe, right? When you read earth, that's the space that man inhabits. We live on earth. And then in Scripture, you read heaven. Heaven is the space that God inhabits. It's not up in the clouds. We've seen like pictures. It's the space that God inhabits. Any space that God inhabits. And as we're taught to pray, we are taught, what are we taught to pray? On earth as it is in heaven, right? On earth as it is in heaven. Not may we die so we can go to heaven. That's not really scriptural. Yes, our eternity is secure in Christ. Now get over that and do something about today. And it is on earth as it is in heaven. That's what this is about. So what, what is this? Jesus is the vehicle that pulls the space between. We're over here like, hello. And God's over here like, return to me. And I will return to you. And then Jesus says, I got this. That's the gospel. I've got this. On earth as it is in heaven. Jesus starts his ministry. What does he say? Repent. Ta-da! The kingdom of heaven is here. Get with it. Heaven is here. I'm walking on what you call earth, and when my feet hit the ground, I call heaven. That's what this is. Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, that closes this gap. How do we not see this, guys? You open scriptures, it doesn't say like the kingdom of God is like harps and choir practice. I didn't want heaven because I, I grew up by people who can't sing. That would be really bad. That's not fun. That is a bad, bad, like, no. I don't want, if that's eternity, I'll take like dirty clothes and a basketball. But scripture talks about what heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed, like a mustard seed that is growing, like treasure in a field, like a merchant searching for pearls, like a net that is cast into the sea. Don't you see? The kingdom of heaven is something urgent, immediate, right now that requires action on your part and my part. It costs us everything, and we don't wait a billion years to see it. We watch for it now. We watch for it now. Many of us, many of us have handed, we've handed our power to tiny little idols and lived as if Jesus cleans us up for something after death. That is not Easter. That is sad. That is the reason we love jelly beans. But Easter is this verse that you know well. I love having kids in here because they think I'm funnier than you do. I'm not going to lie. You may have heard this before. With the, you know, after we spend all our time giving up our power and authority to these lesser idols, Jesus comes and does what we can't do. And then he says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. God gave him the authority that was in heaven, right? How did authority get to earth? Oh, that's my fault. That's my fault. That's your fault. 
Authority came to created things because of me. Because I handed it over. Because you handed it over. So Jesus said, I got that. I've got that. I've got that. I've got that. Went to the cross, rose again. He said, now that I've got all the authority of heaven and all the authority of earth, go do what you're supposed to do. Go be who you were supposed to be. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. All authority is taken back from death. Praise God for God, right? We know that God gave Jesus the authority of heaven. He spoke over him and said, this is my son who I'm well pleased. And then Jesus went through Calvary. He went through all of this so that all the authority that we sent all over the earth on created things that didn't belong and all the, the brokenness that we brought to this earth, he collected all of that back, yeah. snatched it from death, yeah. and said, okay, I've got it all. Yeah. You don't have to question it anymore. You don't have to wonder anymore. I've got it. And now that I've got it, I'm going to do what I did from the beginning, and I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to trust you with it. And so we go marching around, bringing heaven to earth. That's what we're called to do. Go reconcile. Go make disciples. Go bring heaven to earth. All these things are the same thing. There's different ways of saying it. Yeah. Hey, go, go notice that the space that is God's is the same space that you're walking. That's not your kitchen. That's heaven. That's not just a, a church building underneath where some college students live. No, that's heaven. If God is there, it's heaven. And we know where God is, right? He's within us. So if part of you is your feet, and your feet are standing somewhere, that space belongs to God. That space is his. Now, here's the thing. We kind of act like savages a lot. We're silly folks, and so we march around doing really silly things sometimes, and we think we're acting kingdom. No, a lot of times we're acting colonial. Real honest. We think we're acting kingdom, but we're hurting other people because we're acting colonial. And then we give up. And we're like, I don't get it. I'm done. Give me the donut. <laughs> I don't know how to bring it. Maybe it's just about heaven again. And maybe it's the heaven in the air. And we get all discouraged. No, Jesus tells us exactly how to do this. Can I show you? Can I show you? Because we are designed to live in his power with his authority and bring heaven to earth. How is it that we do this? Well, he, he told us. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Is that something about when they die? No. No, that's then. If you are poor in spirit, your feet are in the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Have you ever mourned without medicating? Have you ever mourned where you're actually asking God to be the one who comforts you? I tell you, I've walked through this journey a couple times. It is unbelievable how comforted you become. Because God is exactly who he said he is. It's unbelievable how that chair that you sat in that always just felt like a chair all of a sudden feels like a sacred space. Because you encountered God in that place. That's because you mourned and asked God to be God and he comforted you. Blessed are the meek. for They shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are you when others revel and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Your reward is in heaven. And I always took that to mean, well, you go die and you get like a slightly nicer door knocker on your door of heaven. That's not it at all. So do we get everything that we would ever want? No. But I, I think of like Moses who didn't enter the promised land because of his sin, because of the idols that he made, because of the ways he sold God short. But he went up on that mountain. And he was okay. He was really okay with it. There was more for me to see, but I'm, I'm good here. I, I didn't have to wait. Heaven encountered me here. This is our invitation. Our invitation is to be people about God's space here on earth and to reflect the character that Jesus had and has because that's who we were made to be. But we began this whole thing with the women who went to the tomb, right? And that's significant. It's, it's women who went to the tomb. I know there's a lot of women who feel like your second place, I actually heard somebody say that they, they grew up learning that men were made in God's image and women kind of sort of reflected it. That's not scriptural. That's that whole colonial thing we were talking about. Women went and found Jesus. Found that he wasn't there. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna, Mary the mother of Jesus and other women who went there. And we talked about that. That's where we began. They went and told the disciples. They told... Uh, news just travels, right? Even like pre-Twitter, like it travels. And there's these two men walking down the road. They got about a seven mile walk to the next city. They're trying to make sense of this. They were sure that Jesus was going to come and establish the kingdom in the way that they thought he was going to establish the kingdom. And so half of them was discouraged, and then they found out that Jesus was alive. So half of them was confused, and they didn't know what to do. And this man that they encounter along the way starts walking with them. And he's like, don't, don't, haven't you heard? And the man says, what, heard what? Haven't you heard that Jesus rose, and don't you know the events of today? And this week, I feel like we are like those two men who are looking at the events of this week and this time, and we're thinking of bombs and missiles, and we feel powerless like we once were before Christ, and we, we sometimes way too often settle for this future heaven, and we think, like, there's nothing here. Maybe none of this matters. Maybe it's all just going to go, and we misinterpret everything. But these people, that man that they met on the road, these two men, that man was Jesus. And once again, he took that space that was their understanding of earth and that space that was heaven, and he crashed them together. And it says this in verse 30. It says, when Jesus was at the table with them, he took the bread. He blessed and broke it, and he gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized Jesus, and he vanished from their sight, just like that. And they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us when he talked on the road? Well, well, he opened us up to the scriptures. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and they were all gathered together. Saying, the Lord has risen indeed. Has appeared to Simon. And told everything that had happened. 
and forever their life was changed. If you've been to one church before and many other churches, you know, every week that we gather, we, we receive communion. It was that very thing where bread is broken and juice is poured, and we remember that Jesus, his body was broken and his blood was shed for you and me, not to make us nicer, not to make us more moral. That's not the point. That is a tiny gospel. That's not even good news. That's like just, I don't know, I'll take it like the day before I die. But his body was broken, his blood was shed for the good news that you and I, we could, we could worship him again. That we could go from death to life, that we could know heaven now, that we don't have to wait, but we can encounter him in real and true ways right now, just like those men along that road, just like the women who went to the tomb, that we might know that he lives, and because he lives, he lives in me, and he lives in you. And so in light of that, in light of the death that he went through and the life that he is now living, we invite you to the table to remember that that sacrifice was made so your worship could be turned back towards him. That like he promised in Malachi, that if we return to him, he will return to us. So let's continue to worship.